Hey, TABC family, welcome back to the podcast. We're glad to have you with us as we seek to go deeper into Sunday's teaching and ask the questions that will help us live out God's word in our daily lives. That's why we do this podcast, to equip the followers of Jesus here at 12th to grow in obedience and affection for him every day. Our hope is that at 12th, we would be a biblical community of kingdom people who are joining God in the restoration of all things, one person, one place at a time. And our desire is that our time together today equips you to do just that. Thanks for being with us. Let's jump in. Hey, everybody. It is Garen and Jordan coming to you talking about Garen's message on November 5th, and we've kind of made a shift here, Garen, in Nehemiah. Yep, shift into uh, kind of the last half of the book. I mean, it's in three parts, but the shift now is on the community. The wall's built, so the focus isn't on that. Now it's on being a healthy community. and The hard stuff. The hard stuff. Yeah, yeah. if you think you think building a wall's hard with perfume makers <laughs> and priests and stuff. In 53 yeah. days is hard. Then, <laughs> then it's, it's the work on the people's heart, right? That's yeah. the... And we're going to get to that, especially chapter 13, but uh, we'll let 13 come when it comes here. Yeah. So we are done talking about the wall because it's been built. And so now the focus goes from outside the walls and the dangers out there to, okay, now our people are assembled. We're all here. Uh, now what? How yep. do we build a healthy community? And yep. how do we get back to honoring God like we like we did before. So, and so the next few weeks, the next like four chapters we're going to look at, it's just going to be each chapter has some essentials that are essential to a healthy community or for us, a healthy base of, op- base of operations for us to live as restorers outside the four walls. So that's kind of what the, the focus is going to be again, until we get to chapter 13, I still don't know what I'm going to do with chapter 13. When you read it, you'll know why, but I've already had some people say, what are you going to do with 13? We, we'll let that come Wait, when it comes. I have read 13. Have you? Yeah. I think I'd that's huh. where he's like pulling people's hair and beating people up yeah, and stuff. So, but he's got good reason for it. <laughs> it uh, to me, it sounds a little cathartic to be able a little to preach cathartic. That. Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> maybe we could practice it that Sunday. Yeah, right. Have a skit. Hey, cut you. Come up here. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't read thirteen yet. Okay, good. Come on up. So, yeah, over the next four skit. weeks, <laughs> stunt doubles. Yeah, I think the cartoons of Nehemiah. I think they left probably chapter thirteen off of the. The yes. super book it's and weird. the Lego book. They Nehemiah. Didn't, they didn't have Nehemiah pulling people's hair out. <laughs> they left that out. I think the kids would have um, tried to imitate that one a little too much. Yeah. So the next four weeks, we're talking about, like you said, four things that are going to build up the home base, the community. Uh, yesterday, you hit the first of four, and it is a commitment to God's word and then a commitment to celebration. I've heard a lot of sermons about one of these things, and I've heard almost no sermons on the other thing. So it'll be good yeah, to talk you, about these. Yeah. Talk a lot about the word of God and being committed to it, right? Mm-hmm. But celebration. And for good something. reason, right? And for good reason. Yeah. We're not dialing on it. If celebration is equally foundational, yeah. I, other than that book, Celebration Discipline, uh-huh. and John Ortberg's book, The Life You've Always Wanted, outside right. of those two books, I don't think I've ever read anything on it, never had heard a sermon on it. Yeah. So, but we'll get there in a minute. Okay. So let's talk first about commitment to God's word. You said that it consists of four things that are um, mentioned here in Nehemiah 8. It's that the people are hungry for God's word. They're attentive to it. They're instructed by it and they're obedient to it. Um, did you want to say anything about ways we see that in a text or any, any reaction to that? I yeah, guess, just, I think 
that just said it was that they were really hungry and they're like, we're wanting to know it. And it almost seems like, cause they're like, they discover this about the, the feast of tabernacles. And you're like, you know, they were in Babylon for a long time and they're kind of back and was, I mean, in Ezra, we know they still did it, but had they kind of gotten out of the rhythm? Like it was almost like, whoa, oh, right. This is coming. It was almost like they'd lost kind of a collective memory. So being in the Torah was really good. And I think that's why they were hungry and attentive is they're like, we want to dig into what's God wanting of us now as a community. You know, that's why we're doing homeless night this week. Cause we're celebrating the feast of Sukkot, Garen. So we're, is that what you're doing? The temporary, temporary shelters. shelters. Maybe yeah. we should start calling it instead of homeless. <laughs> so night. We'll, we'll just invite all the, all the church body to come live in a cardboard box for a night. <laughs> no, we would not. We would not ask that of you guys. I'm getting old. Like, I think I'm too old to sleep in a box anymore, but yeah, you are kind of getting rough in it. Where- getting up there. Um, okay. So yeah, you talk about those festivals, they're celebrating. The thing that was convicting to me in this part is when Ezra is reading the law, you mentioned the length of time that he's reading it. Yeah. It's like five hours. And they are attentive to it. They are on their faces, convicted, worshiping God in the midst of it. Like it's not a, it's not a typical church scene where he's reading from the front for five hours and people are dozing off. And right. I mean, they are locked into it and they are ready to obey God in a new way. Yeah. And you, you hear about this, you, I mean, you've been down in Ghana. I don't, if you've experienced, but you hear about this in Mexico. I've been in a long service in Mexico. You hear about this in a lot of cultures like, man, you guys do quick services here. Like back home, we're three, four hours long and people seem to be hungry for it. And here, if you go over 30 minutes, you get a few remarks on the way out, you know, or I don't know. Right. Late for the football game or late, can't beat the crowd to lunch. Yeah, I really struggle with that. I don't know. It's, it is convicting when you go overseas and there are, there are rooms that seem to be more spirit filled that are going longer. And it just looks so different from American church sometimes. It's a wake up call to me for sure that God's word is worth my full attention. Yeah. And um, yes. in those moments where I want to, you know, think about my own stuff or, or doze off or whatever. It's like, no, this is, I mean, I think about, think about Ezra reading for five hours. Like, yeah, this is stuff that healthy communities built on. This is what my life is built on. Yeah. It's worth my time and yep. my attention. So, yep. So I think for all of us to be like, the time probably doesn't matter, but am I hungry? Am yeah. I attentive to the instruction? And am I obedient? Am and I willing to were. be instructed too, right? Yeah. Like, am I coming to church to hear what I want to hear? Or am I willing to really be instructed in a new way? I think that's a big one for my own yeah, part too. Right. Like, okay, Garen, get up there and tell me, tell me stuff that makes you feel good for 30 minutes. Or am I willing to say, oh man, he is instructing me in a new way and it's going to take some change on my part. So just being open yeah. to that too, I think. A lot of conviction for me in Nehemiah 8 and the way that Ezra reads the mm. law and the Israelites react to it. Mm. So that's cool. It was good. So it consists of those four things, you know, being committed to God's word. And then it results, if you look down verses nine to 11, it results in a couple of things you mentioned here and people being convicted. And we mentioned that they're on the ground. They're asking forgiveness. They're worshiping God. They're mourning. They're weeping. They're grieving. Really strong words. They're hearing God's law and they're realizing how far their own lives are from it. Yeah. Which, which is like only possible by God's spirit, right? And by a spirit of humility. Uh-huh. It's easy to come into church and like we said, not not be willing to be instructed or not be willing to really change anything. But these people are coming in, they're hearing God's word and they're like, okay, there's a big dissonance between what God says and how I'm living and, yeah. and I'm broken over yeah. it. Yes. And that's what they were. They were very broken. And not just as we know, not just because of the things they had done that were wrong, but the things they had left undone that they should have done, um, those sins of omission. And so they were, yeah, I was really struck by 
the conviction that was drawn. And it should be, and God's word is convicting. But what I thought was really amazing is they're like, okay, that's okay to be convicted, but that's not the end game. Like, this is a day to celebrate. And it said that in one of the verses that they did celebrate because they understood what was being taught. And that to me was kind of the the one that I'm like, how often do I focus on that? That the ultimate, the end game with the word isn't conviction. That That's important. But it's really that I have joy, there's joy and celebration in it. And that only happens as I, I love it and I live into it. And it changes and transforms me. And my life is more in alignment with how God designed things. That's when I find the joy coming out of it. So I was really struck by how much they were emphasizing Ezra and those guys even then, like, this should lead to joy. Yeah, the conviction's okay, but this should lead to joy. And it's important to remember, like you said, that the ultimate end of reading God's word is that it would result in joy. Yeah. And so I think so often we read God's word and, and get stuck in it and we don't make the leap from conviction to joy. And it can become this drudgery or this thing that we don't want to do because it makes us feel bad. And and that's part of the process. It's part of the process. But if you don't let it fully bake and yeah. then let it result in your joyfulness because of what God is doing in your heart, yeah. it's like pulling a cake out too soon out of the oven, yeah. right? It's not really yeah. not getting the full product. And this morning I was in Psalm 146 and there was a verse that really corrected me. I experienced the conviction, but it just, I just, like you said, I didn't just leave it there. I'm like, Lord, thank you for that correction because I know things are going to go a lot better if I live into how you say things should be done. And so there's that shift to, Lord, help me to be obedient to this because I know that that's really where the good life is and the joyful life is Mm -hmm. living in alignment with your word. Yeah, so don't just sit in the conviction, but let it move you. And that's what I didn't, I kind of left this on the editing reform, editing room floor. That's what 2 Timothy 3.16, actually it says, you know, the word of God is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, which is what they were doing. And then the next one is correction. So here's the conviction, the correction. So when I get off the path, it will correct me and convict me, but but it doesn't leave me there. The word of God picks me up, dusts me off, pats me on the behind, and it it um well it it rebukes. That's the conviction, and then it corrects, and then it teaches, trains me in righteous living. And so the ultimate game, the in game for God is that this is training you in right living, so that you'll be thoroughly equipped for every good work, and that's joyful. So even in that Second Corinthians Second. Timothy 3, 16, 17, I see the conviction in it, but I see ultimately the joy of, that is trying to train me into right living. Yeah. Too often our joy for God's word is thwarted by simple thinking. And we've got to really realize that God's word is doing all those things. And it's bringing about a very specific end goal in us. Yeah. And we've got to follow it through in order to get there. Um, which I think we often don't do. And it results in a lack of passion for quiet time yeah. in God's word. Right. So very good, very needed. Another thing I got out of that part was it talked about all those who are able to understand. And you talked about how in their culture, the age of 13, right, Mm -hmm. is when they were um, mitzvahed into this culture where they were then expected to be under the law. Yeah. And they were held accountable for their actions, right? Bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, son or daughter of the law. And you're no longer just a kid who gets away with stuff, but you are there listening to God's word and it applies to you. Mm-hmm. And I just love that high bar. Maybe it's like the student pastor in me. I don't know. But I love that high bar for young people because so often in the world we see just standards being lowered almost everywhere so that everyone can make it. And it's like, no, God's bar is high even for the youth yeah, because they are so young and full of passion and life. Just, just this morning, I got the chance to see a student organization at a school 
where some of our students had organized and recruited a bunch of kids to come to this event and the gospel was preached. And like, they're doing that every week there, like students and young people are capable of so much. Yeah. And I just, I loved reading that. And then hearing you talk about it, that like the next generation is so ready to lead and serve and be accountable to God. Yeah. And we're not a church. We're not a, uh, we're not a body that's going to just lower the bar for students, yeah. but we want right. to. Yeah. Too. It isn't like, okay, you teens, you all go play while we're at this revival. Ezra It's like, no, you're, you're, you're here at the age. Yeah. Where you're respond, you're to be responsive to the word of God. And yeah. you're there with us. And the other really cool thing, Jordan, is how on the first day, everybody's gathered. But on that second day, the people who showed up to get the teaching were the heads of the household. Mm. And that really grabbed me. And I know that kind of grabbed you as we talked ahead of time. So I, from your perspective as a parent, why is that so important? Yeah. And I think it's the head of the household. Cause if you can get the head of the household, you can get the household. Yes. And so that's the thinking there. And so if you are the head of your household, um, then like your responsibility is exponentially bigger than the rest of us. Right. Yeah. Because to a large degree, your family's spiritual direction depends on you. And so it's just this, like you said, it's this challenge to not only follow well, but to lead well them because so often the way you go is the way they're going to go. Yeah. So let me ask you a question, Jordan, because I find with heads of households, some people hear that and the weight is so strong that they kind of balk and bail, like they, they, they kind of drift yeah, away. It like, could be overwhelming, sure. Or some people get challenged by that. Like, I'm going to, I'm not going to do it perfectly, but I'm going to live into it. Yeah. What, what would you, as a parent who's in it right now to those, maybe there's a dad right now listening and they're like, that's just too much. The weight mm-hmm. of that's too much. I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to be like Adam. I'm going to be silent. I'm going to back off. I'm going to let my wife handle that. What would you say to them to challenge them to step into it? Um, maybe first that the best ability is availability, right? Mm, and like good. being open to being that person and just dip your toe and try it and maybe not be great at it. I think for the most of a, for the, for the most households, the head is going to be a husband uh-huh. over his family and a dad over his family. And I think as dads and just men in general, it's hard for us to really want to do something. If there's a chance we might not be great at That's it. Right. So being yep. ready to just be available to be that person and to maybe fail in it a little bit and try some different things and see what works. And the other is if you're lucky enough to be a part of a community that wants to partner with you. And that's what we do at 12th. We, yeah. we don't just say, disciple your kids. We, I mean, we really do think hard and have meetings and try to strategize to the end of um, like partnering with families. Yeah. Right. So we're putting on events, we're putting resources in your hands. Uh, we're, we're doing, we're pointing you to podcasts and books and speakers in different places so that we can just help you through this because nobody can do it on their own. And it's really overwhelming sometimes when it, it feels like that. So yeah, yeah, be available, be ready to do it. Don't think you got to be perfect at it. Yep. And then if That's, your community is willing to partner with you, you know, check out what they've got and be willing to be a partner with them. Yeah, that. that's great. I love that. Right. God, it, my best ability is my availability. So Lord, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I want to do something. I'll ask Jordan, I'll ask around, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and again, the emphasis that for a dad, for a head of household, but for a dad, if the word of God is, it, it's not just being in the word of God, it's got to be in you because your kids can tell the difference. Yeah. Right. And you've seen that as a youth pastor, the kids who grow up in homes where you're like, I can tell the word is in those parents. They're not perfect, but yes. I can tell it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can tell the ones it's like, uh, you know, <clears throat> and it, it affects your kids because if it's in you, then it's more likely 
for them to catch that because following Jesus is more caught than taught. So holy cow. And especially with parents, like we all remember when we were kids, our parents, if you had a parent who said one thing and did another, you didn't listen to what they said. You did what they did. Right. So, um, yeah, as parents, we can, we can talk to our blue in the face, but if our lives don't reflect it and it's not true for us first, it's going to have no weight with our kids. Yeah. So that's so important. I remember the Wayne Cordero thing that you mentioned. And I could just, I had watched that video with you before, so I knew what you were doing, but on the audio, I could just hear you thumping your Bible in your chest and give, and the idea was we've got to internalize God's word before we give it away. And that has to be so true for us as parents of kids. Um, or even, even if you don't have kids, just, just spiritual leaders. If you're in a life group or you're in a triad or you're in a quad, or you're just living as a restore outside the walls of 12th, you have to take the text, internalize it first, and it's got to be true for you. And then you can give it away. Right. Yep. So that's so important. And I loved that phrase you kept saying that we can't just be in God's word. It's got to be in us. Um, I was wondering if you were going to merchandise that, like, is it in you? Yeah, I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Is it in until Nike hears selling about shirts it? shirts and until Nike takes it up, but right. I've already got contract discussions going on with them. So. <laughs> but I think that's so good. And it's a little catchy way to say it, but it is so true, man. Like if it's not true for me, then it doesn't really matter what I tell others. Cause it's, they, they are watching my life. They're not listening to my words, Yep. you know, or they're not listening to me if it's not true for me already. Yeah. Can I say one more thing to heads of household? Yes. I grew up in a home where I had no spiritual guidance. So something is better than nothing. And I had nothing. So just start, just do something, you know, get small. You're going to fail at it. You're not going to feel good at it, but just do something. Get in the word of God yourself. Let it be in you. And then just do the best you can to direct your family to it. Learn from people, ask questions of families, you know, who do it well. Yeah. But Lisa has done a great job recently. We had a meeting maybe a year or two ago, just about giving parents a place to feel equipped. And so if you go to our website under resources, there's a parent page. We've got some podcasts listed on there that are really good, easy listens that are just about parenting biblically. We've got a book list on there. I know that um, either every year or every other year, we try and do some sort of parent equipping class. Yeah. I think there, we did some parent equipping podcasts that might even be on there, like that we've recorded. So go to our resources page on our website. If you're like, okay, I'm about it. I want to do it. I don't know where to go. It's a good first step right there. So, um, okay. So we talked about commitment to God's word, but what about celebration, Garen? Yeah. Why? Why are you wasting our time? I know on a Sunday on that talking about celebration. Like what in the world? Can we get back to a little hellfire and brimstone, please? <laughs> what really matters? <laughs> and that's so. That's what's interesting <laughs> is I became a believer in a church that it was hellfire and brimstone, and it was very legalistic, and it was all toe in the line, and you would get called out on stuff, and holiness was all about. Like I said yesterday, it was a weight. It was dreary. It was drudgery. And I had no clue that holiness is joy. And I mean, I kind of did as I lived into it. But yeah, there was like, there was no celebration or anything. And I didn't even know it was a biblical concept. I, yeah. That celebration was a biblical yeah. concept. And I think like I said yesterday, Jordan, I, so I come out of a non-believing home, but I think the hum, the default of the human heart after the fall is we always turn religion to asceticism and legalism. It's got to be, oh, it's got to be fasting all the time. And it's got to be, you know, simplicity. Those are all good things. But we make that all the time. Yeah. We drain life out of it. And the legalism, it's just, it becomes about law. Love is gone. The life is drained out. And I think this Old Testament emphasis on festivals 
on Jesus, who is rumored to be a party kind of guy, um, all of that, that we just don't ever talk about the celebration aspect of the Bible. So I was glad Nehemiah brought it up because it gave me the chance to talk about it. Can you talk about the secular, maybe not even secular, maybe even in the church, like the general everyday church person's idea of what the word holy means and the connotation that it carries versus what it actually means and the connotation it should carry with us. Can yeah. you talk about the difference? There? I, th- I think the way I saw it for a long time is it's your rigid and there's a judgmentalism with it. And so someone says like you're straight laced. Someone says, Aaron, are you living a holy life? You're thinking, oh, you're am, thinking, I, am I not playing cards? Yeah, am I not right. watching the uh, right I'm not movies? I'm not going to the theater and it's just all rules, rules, rules. Yeah. And that's how you would define and a holy life. That's maybe. how, that's for, kind of how it was taught to me at the right. beginning. And it, yes. that's why I said it was like drudgery and, uh-huh. and it was heaviness. And I had, I did not connect holiness with joy, which the scripture does. So much like they did. That's why I loved yesterday. Three times in the text, they're like, hey, this is a holy day. Don't mourn. It's a day to celebrate. It's a mm-hmm. holy day. We Unholy things we celebrate. And I was like, wow, that's so powerful. Hmm. That idea that that our holiness with God ought to be celebration. It ought to be, I'm, I'm getting turned loose into what real life is, right? When I'm living in accordance with the word of God, I'm living life the way it's intended. And that's hmm. a good thing. And it brings freedom. The scripture brings liberty. Jesus talks about that. and. And that brings freedom. Um, but Garen, how can we celebrate when there's so much to do? There's just always something to do. So how, how are we supposed to slow down and celebrate when, you know, my second job, I'm working it, and this isn't done, and my kids aren't where they're supposed to be, and, you know, da da da, da. It's like, my, yeah. I'm on this treadmill. How am I supposed to slow down and celebrate? Yeah. I think it's, it's intentionally creating space. That's why I think these festivals are so interesting, because God, throughout their calendar, he says, I'm going to create space in your calendar throughout the year to yeah. celebrate. And I have to do that. And yeah. that's what Sabbath is about, right? Right. Sabbath is to be a day of refreshment. <laughs> Sabbath should be the day I'm doing the things that I, I should be walking with God a little more, but I should be with friends. I should be enjoying meals. I should be doing the things that I love and bring life. Yeah. That's a structure. That's a way of structuring and celebration and play. We look throughout the Bible and there's a theme of forced rest from the good shepherd, right? Yeah. There's forced rest from God. And at first glance, it's like, well, that's kind of odd. And then you live a day as a human and you realize, <laughs> oh, if someone's not forcing me to rest, then I'm probably never going to rest. Yes. If, if God says, hey, rest when you get a chance, you'll never rest because there's never a chance for yeah. it, right? So he's a good God and that he carves out this margin in our lives, this time in our lives where we have to sit down and realize, oh, okay, this is actually what I was made for. Yeah. I, I saw, read a thing last week and the, the, every year the Oxford Dictionary puts out the hundred most used words or something. And in the, hundred, in the top 15 is work, um, tired, busy. And in the top hundred is not, you don't find the word play. You don't find the word rest. You don't find the word celebrate. You don't find the word joy. And so our culture is really wired to just be running hard all the time. And if ever there's a culture that needs to hear God's call to celebrate, to play, to have joy in life, to, uh, you know, Lewis says, it's the serious business of God. Or I didn't, I didn't even use the quote, but in the screw tape letters, uh, I, we still don't remember what's that, that demon's name, the, that yeah, popped in your mind the yet. The head guy. No, the head dude. Remember. But he just says, our enemy, because that's what he calls God. He said, he is a hedonist at heart. And I just love that. Like God is about joy and celebration. And we take religion and turn it into duty and 
just drudgery and that's not the point at all. And yeah, I would say our society in general is bad at celebrating because we live in such a go, go, go society. But I would say the American church is even worse at it. Yeah. Because we feel like it's, there's too many important things to do. We don't have time to celebrate. That's like way down here on the tier list that are of things that are important to God. It's actually really high. Yeah. And he calls us to it. And we are living in disobedience if we are not living lives that are celebrating him and celebrating um, life the way that he yeah. wanted us I to. I mean, your small group tonight, you're doing a play. Well, play night. I dare not say that. A I mean, you guys night. are, obviously you're <laughs> yeah, we're, in the word and holy. Yeah. I mean, yep. you're, you're having some fun, right? We are. Celebrating. Yeah, we're, we're welcoming a new couple. And so we're taking a break from Nehemiah, mostly because the sermon wasn't that good this week. But also <laughs> we just wanted to rest and like, it, you know, break but, the rhythm a little bit. But what uh, a great week for it to happen, right? Yesterday was a vow celebration. You're like, you know what? Tonight we're doing what they did in Nehemiah 8. Well, and even Saturday, there was a lot to celebrate too. If you want to go there. Yeah, that's true. There was a lot to celebrate. Wasn't <laughs> we won't there? get any more specific. Yeah, than we that. won't go much further with but that. If but if you're, if you know, then you know on that one. But and, I know the Lowen small group, like two cent, two minutes ago, they just had a, play, a game night. Yeah. Our stuff. small group used to do that. We'd yeah. sometimes be like, let's just eat together and let's play some games and have fun. Yeah. Yeah. We need, it needs to be a part of our spiritual rhythm. We need to build that into what we do as families. Right. Yeah. So have a quiet time with your family, but play with your family too. Yeah. Right. And enjoy your family and all of that. So, can we end by talking about that Ortberg story? Yeah, that you mentioned, and that ha- thing punched me in the stomach. I read that book a few years ago with my small group, and I just was like emotional reading that because I realized it was me. And then hearing it again from you yesterday, just like whoa. So, for those of you who weren't there, essentially Ortberg, right? He tells the story of bathing his kids, and one of his kids, his daughter, is dancing around and goofing off. Having her D-Da day. Having her D-Da day dance. And he kind of snaps at her like, hey, hurry, hurry up. Get over here. We got to get right off. And she says, what? So she does it. First, she does it faster. So, oh yeah, that was a good <laughs> Which part. Which is funny. Yeah. Okay, I'll dance faster, dad. <laughs> no, not like that. Hurry, get over here. We got things to do. And she says, well, why? Why should I hurry? And he just talks about, I mean, I don't know. And he had just, he in that moment realized like he was just so trained to do the next thing, the next thing, the next yep. thing. And live this efficient life that he was actually missing out on the good parts of life. And I, I felt that so deeply. And like I was telling you, have gotten better at that, but still struggle with that. And especially in the bathtub for some reason, because kids don't do anything quickly, but they especially do not take baths quickly. So <laughs> right. if you're in a hurry, you're in trouble on that one. But it just spoke to the idea that, you know, I, I am bad at celebrating. I'm bad at sitting back and playing and enjoying life. And I can so easily get on that treadmill of like, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And then you like blink and you're 70 and you haven't celebrated your life. And it's like, whoa. So I want to live a life that is slow and intentional and celebratory and full of quality time. Mm -hmm. And there are definitely times where you got to put your hands to the plow, right? Right. And you got to get after it. And we're not calling anybody to be lazy. But what is our work for if it's not so that we can celebrate and, and, and just have quality time with friends and, and God? Yeah, definitely. From time to time. Yeah, and as I said yesterday, it's, it's hardwired into us because little kids, again, being around grandkids, like you see that, they just play and enjoy life a lot. And it's very convicting. You're just like, I don't enjoy life the way these guys do. Yeah. And I tend to let them, now as a grandparent, I'm letting them draw me in to their play more than I'm drawing them into the hurry, let's get things done kind of, because I've been there as a parent and you all, you look back and you're like, I wish I hadn't done that quite so much like this. I wish I had the D-Daw Day story 
long ago. But it's how kids are wired. And what we're doing is we're unwiring them and we're getting them into our bent, which is towards super seriousness and no joy and just getting everything done on time and task after task. And we drain the play out of them. So by the time they're adults, they're just like we are, which is sad. But So celebration is important. Uh, Commitment to God's word, equally important. So let's be a body that is good at both those things. Yep. So there are two cores, I think, two essentials to a healthy body, which is that that home base like we need at the bottom of Mount Everest to to live as a restore. We've got to have a healthy church body. And those are the two th- two things we need in it. Garen, you're really good at coming up with like these visuals. Like I remember the you did the tree with the leaves on top and the roots on bottom and the trunk. And I think you've come up with a few other things, but I feel a good Garen like illustration coming maybe at the end of this thing when we have completed the four Sundays talking about essentials for church community. Maybe there'll be something cool. Something that'll come out of that. Yeah, because I love these things, but if there's not an illustration to remind me of it or tie it Uh, together, I can forget it. So I don't know. I'm playing too much these days. I may not be able to Okay, well, when you stop messing around, Garen, you can (laughs) create one for us. Okay. Um, anything else, Garen? No, I think that's good. I, I really, that celebration I think is a big deal. So can we all commit in some ways to get better at that, especially at our homes? Yeah. With our families. Yeah. With our families. And especially once again, head of households. Yeah. Celebrate yep. well. Yep. And give your family permission to celebrate because yep. they so often will follow you. So lead them well in God's word, but also lead them well in having a, a goofy yeah. time. Yep. Yep. Um, two sides of the same Both coin. Both equally. Right? Yes in the word, but also in joy and play. So yeah, that's a good word for okay. to finish on. Yep. And if you're a K-State fan, that might be a little tougher this week, but you can still try hard. That's it. See you guys. <laughs>